0: Welcome to episode seventy-two of the Contra Fabulous Podcast. I'm Audrey Waters,
1: and I'm Kent Lane.
0: And last week I was, said I wasn't sure if we were going to do another podcast this week, but look, here we are.
1: I told you we were going to do one.
0: You were right. I was wrong.
1: Ha ha ha! Glad. Has we got to, to that be a first time for everything. So, what do we talk about this week?
0: Well, see that there's the there's the rub, right, so I think I mentioned this last week i'm sure I did because i'm completely obsessed this time of year i'm twelve days now into working on my year in review project, and it this is such a massive undertaking it 's really hard for me to sort of pull my head um out of that frame of of thinking about things and talk about just the past. The past weeks' worth of uh, of sort of, of news, um, I you know I, I'm I'm super aware of the um, stories and the trends that are have been sort of formulated and narrated and retold and crafted over the course of the year now. Um, so I think. The things that i that are sort of are top of mind for me are perhaps top of mind because as I've looked back on the last you know uh i guess eleven months now um just can see sort of this drumbeat of of stories around um algorithms around social media around trust um misinformation, and around the kind of violence that we're seeing, experiencing, that we have experienced historically, culturally, and the way in which um, new media um, might shape, amplify, alter the way in which violence um, is wielded and violence is experienced.
1: Yeah, it's, uh, um, I mean, we we kind of talked about how a lot of this stuff is repeating, seems to be repeating each week, but i you know i feel like it's almost building or or i don't know we're we're peeling back the layers on it each week. it seems like as far as exactly you know what what happened with the election in Russia, what's happening um on Facebook, what's happening on Twitter, which is all shedding light on to basically how how much of a failure some of these algorithmic efforts are i mean Facebook is is trying to get a handle on the fake news stuff, and they uh, <laughs> their algorithms I, I mean, are, like they're... this is
0: the this is what's so weird, though, is like the idea of that the, these companies have been in such denial. You know, I mean, you look at the headlines immediately after the election, and for those of us that are close, pay close attention to to these things, and we could see this happening in real time during the election. I mean, this wasn't suddenly. Somehow, news on election day two thousand and sixteen, but for the the p r that these companies um released immediately following the election, they were like, This is ludicrous, this is the most you know ridiculous idea we've ever heard you know Mark Zuckerberg said it's you know how dare anyone suggest that Facebook had any sort of role um in uh in misinformation and that the Russians would use Facebook in this way. I mean, who would, you know, how dare you even say that? And now, you know, 11 months later, Mark Zuckerberg is like, yeah, so that was us. Um, we did that. And we're taking these steps to fix it with um, either algorithms or with humans, but in ways that are like, I don't know who, where are these guys, where these fellows come up with their ideas at Stanford, I guess. But, man, oh, man, like, it's just mind-boggling. Like, you know, people joke that the smartest people of our generation are, you know, building ad ad tech. But, like, I um, would like to push back that these are the smartest people of our generation.
1: Well, I mean, when you have... (laughs) I mean, I think there's there's plenty of smart people out there doing things. I think that...
0: Not at Facebook. Can we be not, clear about not that? At not Facebook at Facebook.
1: Or, or at Twitter. I mean, when you... I just it's think the, 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 the no, people who no, are at, at the wheel, when you have like, hey, we have a Nazi problem on, on and, and bot automation problem on your platform, and they go, yes. At first, they go, like you said, no, we don't have a problem. And they go, yes, we have a problem. Hey, we're doing something about it. And then they release other features that have nothing to do with the thing, and then actually go the other direction and actually start verifying Nazis, and then the, and then everyone flips out, and then they go, well, this 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 stuff's really hard, you know, and and when they went from, hey, we can do anything, we can disrupt anything, technology is amazing, it can do anything, to hey, this is hard because uh you know they just really don't seem to understand what's going on or the scope of it, or maybe they do and they're just playing some weird, weird charades or something.
0: So, I mean, I think that, I think that it's the latter, um, honestly, because if you look at the kinds of policies that legally they, that these companies are required to follow in other countries, right? They're required in Germany, for example, to um to censor Nazi related propaganda they manage they managed just fine to do that. if you're in Germany, you'll get a warning um that says you know this tweet cannot be displayed because of anti you know because of anti semitic content um, they managed to 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 work very closely with any number of of countries um both you know uh, European countries, um, uh, Asian countries, they work hand in hand with the Chinese government, for example, to, to censor, uh, to restrict, to curb people in those countries being able to see things and people in those countries being able to say things. So, so that, so this is technically, technologically feasible. Um, they just sort of act like they don't, I mean, it's just they, they put on this show of acting as though it's somehow too hard to do. All the while, again, like you said, sort of all the while pushing this narrative that these are the people who, you know, we're supposed to believe are going to deliver us um, colonies on Mars in the next two years, when they can't even seem to figure out, you know, whether or not to, um, uh, you know, how ha- how to how to handle or how to even think about handling problems that they on their platform problems that their platforms have have created. And there's a couple of different variations on that that um I think we should talk about that um just from the news this week and you you can tell me which order you want to go in. I mean, I think the Twitter the Twitter verification, the Twitter 280 character piece um is is one. I think the Facebook revenge porn is another. And then I think that there's the algorithmic content on on YouTube is is the third.
1: Let's start let's start with Twitter, I would say.
0: So Twitter so Twitter has been testing for I don't know, perhaps a couple of weeks now, maybe even a month now, the idea of doubling its doubling its character content. So re- really one of the things that set that set Twitter aside was that it was 140 characters, short, real-time messaging service. So now really one of the core features of Twitter, brevity, um, and a a pretty firm character restriction has been lifted. um, So everybody now this week has 280 characters. Um, And I think that that's, that's one example of ways in which Twitter has made changes to the platform that were not the changes that its users have asked. We've seen this before when people are like, "You know, this is a this is a a vector for harassment. Could you please improve reporting um and blocking?" Twitter does something like changing stars to hearts, right? Favorites to to hearts and it, it said that one of its pr people said this week you know when we made that change when we changed the star to the heart there were the the number of the number of clicks on twitter went up and i think it demonstrates that like these like as though somehow that's a meaningful valuable metric that means that's a good thing i mean it, it, it's Perhaps, a, you mean, it's it's one of these signals that these folks like to share with their investors, but I'm not sure that it's actually a, a, a signal that the users of the platform are, are happier, healthier, more, actually even more engaged, really.
1: Well, that, I mean, I think it just, it's one example of many uh, data points and, and, that are on a incentive model for these social platforms you know twitter's incentive models, what is their incentive model you know they they want to impress their their shareholders with their numbers the the people who are doing advertising they want to give them what they want you know, and when certain signals you know like changing those buttons that that delivers to that or Having bots and automation, you know, I've talked about or written a lot about how, you know, that's Twitter. the core of Twitter's problem is they haven't reined in their bot platform like other API platforms that I track on. And that's on purpose because it's feeding one of these, these kind of incentive models, these data points it has lots of users, lots of active users. And lots of trending topics, you know, like people getting harassed and fake news getting voted up and things that feed their overall numbers and feed this incentive model. You getting harassed is not one of those data points that's very high on that list.
0: Right. So... So that was one of the things that Twitter, you know, Twitter has sort of historically refused to address the, the harassment problem. Twitter has refused to address the bot problem, which I think because of the, um, uh, the, the election and the misinformation manipulation, um, data manipulation um, around the election, Twitter is sort of being held you know, Twitter's being asked, you know, why <laughs> Why have you let clearly let these misinformation bots, um, Russian-influenced misinformation bots, thrive on the platform? Twitter hasn't addressed that. Instead, they make this change, which is 280 characters. And then another point of contention with Twitter is um, the verification process. And I don't know if we've talked about this here before, but I've blogged about it because I have tried... Multiple times to get verified on Twitter, the process um, Twitter recently I guess this earlier this year opened it up so that the application process was open before it was more of a secretive process. Um, you had to sort of have you sort of had to have a person who had connections to be able to request this with Twitter, your agent, for example, your publisher um, uh, could could do so because it was really about for Twitter, encouraging celebrities to use the platform. And there are certain tools that people with the blue check mark um, would receive, but really it sort of elevates a certain class of users above um, the rest. So Twitter opened this process. You have to send them a copy of your ID um, to verify who you are, and then you have to sort of justify why you deserve the blue check mark. Like I said, I've applied many times, despite being a journalist, despite having published many books, despite being, you know, globally recognized in my field. Um, Twitter has refused to verify me. However, Twitter has been more than happy to verify people like Richard Spencer, a neo-Nazi Richard Spencer, um, like Milo. Um, who actually had his blue check mark taken away, and this past week um, verified Jason Kessler, who was the white supremacist who organized the um, the white nationalist rally in Charlottesville, Virginia, earlier this year in which a, a woman died. A woman was um, uh, allegedly run down by a, a white supremacist. And so you know the fact that Twitter would verify that Individual would give that individual this signal, this symbol next to their name that sort of that implies on the platform that their words are more important than other people's words um that gives them a status and privileged voice on the platform I think people were um, people were upset about um and Twitter took away the blue check mark eventually and then issued this really what I felt feel is sort of uh false statement saying um Twitter has never been Twitter has really only just been about authenticating people's identity it's never meant to be a matter of endorsement but of course that's precisely what the blue check mark is i mean if it was a matter of verifying identity i've given them my driver's license you know six times now pretty clear that who i am I verified my identity. For some reason, though, Twitter hasn't has decided not to, you know, promote me and endorse me on their platform, opting instead to endorse neo Nazis. Um, and so now, in this dust up, they've taken away the ability for anyone to apply uh, for verification. But it, you know, and there were a couple more issues like that this week in which, you know, people, especially people. Um, people getting banned on the site, people posting things, people, um, a very well-known white nationalist um, post-doxed the woman who has accused uh, Senate, Alabama Senate candidate um, Roy Moore of, um, of sexual contact when she was 14. He, he doxed her, and these people are allowed to, you know, these people maintain their accounts on Twitter
1: yeah I mean it just shows shows i think you know gives us that look into what what is their priority and what's what's they're focused on and I think making safety on platforms is gonna continue to be a premium i mean they're literally platforms are gonna make it, so you have to pay more for it to be safe to not be harassed um so they're 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 clearly you know creating this you know wait wait for the algorithm but this clear separation between you know who 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 they endorse and, and who they don't and creating an even an even more exclusive club by kind of freezing it right now and making it kind of more selective
0: so I think that the you know the this is sort of to me this is sort of emblematic of the way in which um, the the company the company's leadership the company culture um, seems unable to identify and recognize the problems on its platform. right? People at Twitter have said, uh, I think the Russian bot thing is an issue. We've talked about this before. And they're no longer with the company. right? So it's not as though sort of there's this monolithic culture at Twitter that has never has any complaints, never has any issues, never wants to do the right thing. But the company culture, broadly speaking, and the company leadership, really doesn't seem interested in doing so and instead comes up with these sort of, I guess, solutions to things that aren't actually problems for the sake of fixing things that appear, if you look at them sort of sideways and upside down with your head tilted at like a 37 degree angle, might be flaws, but aren't actually the kinds of things that I mean, the kinds of things that I think one one should prioritize if one really took seriously the role of being, you know, this voice for s- civil democracy, which was Twitter was happy to embrace itself with that moniker, you know, during the Arab Spring. And similarly, I think Facebook, you know, Facebook loves, Mark Zuckerberg loves to rap himself in the rhetoric of, we're bringing the world closer together. We're making people, you know, people share, are sharing important things um, with our platform in order to share things with one another and suggesting, or, you know, then coming forward with these ideas that are just, I, I don't know how these things get past a pitch meeting. Like, I don't know how someone, in a pitch meeting at Twitter, said, you know what we should do? I know that there are not. I mean, I know that Richard Spencer's an issue, right? Pepe the Frog is an issue. Every time a celebrity tweets, you've got about 500,000 Russian bots respond, auto respond. But you know what we should do? We should make the character limit 280. And I, don't, I can't imagine the pitch meeting at Facebook in which someone said, you know what we should do? There's all of this news right now about sexual assault and sexual harassment, and women really seem to be coming forward to name and identify people who have um, done violence against them. We should ask our users to send us their nude pictures so that we could help them preemptively deal with revenge porn. Like, how does that meeting How does that meeting happen?
1: I mean clearly they don't have the diverse amount of thought at the table and even if they do have a little bit they're not speaking up. People aren't speaking their mind and and you know they're not having those conversations. Oh, we have all these other problems about Richard Spencer or whatever. They're just they're talking about whatever's going to make those numbers, you know, deliver on those KPIs that are going to make their investors happy. And I would suspect that the 280 character limit is more about um Tweet engagement than it is anything else because when what when you're looking in like TweetDeck and a couple other apps I've seen, you know it's just a little snippet of it. You have to engage with the tweet to see the full thing. So even if you're just lightly curious about what the rest of that tweet said, ah,
0: it's like we, the people who. Would do the truncated RSS feed, yes, so you would like exactly.
1: Click so you come in and you become a, another number. So they're just thinking about that. They're not. They're not at all like, oh, we got these other problems we got to deal with until they become loud enough, you know, like the revenge porn. And then the three white dudes at the count at the table go, oh well, what are we gonna do about this? Hey, let's uh, let's have people upload their photos and let's get more of it, you know, and we'll uh, we'll deal with it that way. We'll train the algorithms and there they're trying to fix it the best you know they can in their little limited view of the world and and how concerned they are you know at what what scope they're concerned about this problem they're just not you know it's not it's not a problem and that's what this whole theater is that you know twitter and facebook and everyone's performing publicly it's this kind of limit limit the the amount of regulation that's going to come down on our new industry as we mature here by you know, not actually doing what's right and, and self-regulating, but we're going to just like put up this dance and act, hey, we're we're doing something about this. We got an algorithm going, we're, we got teams meeting on it, we're throwing a bunch of people, we're hiring a thousand people at it, uh, you know, new people, and we, we actually are not going to do that. So it's all this theater and hand-waving just to keep the the government off their back from them, labeling them as what they are is is, you know, media companies and, you know, these other things that are going to, you know, make the advertising, make these other metrics that they're um, honestly have been lying about in, in most cases, proven in most cases, but it's kind of the, the basis of their kind of revenue models. It's going to have to be more observable and transparent and more accountable. And once people get in there and start being able to see, oh, hey, your numbers are fake. Oh, hey, it's actually weighted by bots. Oh, hey, look, if you actually... Reined in your bot platform, your ad revenue would go down by like seventy percent that kind of stuff, and that's what they don't want they don't want that kind of observability into what they're doing
0: right, yeah, so the um uh, yeah, that's Facebook, so we've done Twitter, we've done Facebook. We haven't really talked about the the details of the revenge porn, but I guess just to like sum it up it's just such a ridiculously terrible idea that you that um, as, as, <laughs> um, as devised and as as suggested, it will be implemented. Again, like I, I cannot imagine why someone would trust be would trust Facebook. The humans at Facebook, because again, humans at Facebook would look at your at your nudes. Why you would trust Facebook to handle this for you? Um, and then the third story this week is was um youtube
1: yeah they're uh um i mean you mentioned it earlier that youtube even though it's part of google really there hasn't been a lot of discussion when it comes to all of this algorithmic uh uh you know fake propaganda um just delivering things that are that are just outlandish you know, and amplifying people who who are clearly anti-Semitic, other things. You know, and generating revenue, putting these people into a whole another tier where they're, they're revenue sharing on on advertising, which is the incentive model for for YouTube. But YouTube's you know starting to get a little bit more scrutiny when it comes to how they're how they're doing this for kids, how they're doing it, you know, for terrorism and and other areas.
0: Yeah, I would say that. I mean. When it comes, particularly when it comes to the conversations that we've been having in the U.S. for the last, you know, uh, year about misinformation, propaganda, and in particular, um, in particular, sort of the Russian influence, but more broadly speaking, sort of this um, the the way in which the the internet has really become a hotbed for festering, for festering, for fostering the festering white supremacy. Um, You know, Facebook gets talked about a lot, Twitter gets talked about, but really I think it's YouTube that is probably one of the main sources of misinformation, disinformation, and um, the kind of propaganda, whether it's white supremacist propaganda or Russian propaganda. And part of that is because of the way in which Facebook works by um, suggesting videos. If you watch a clip on YouTube, um, you'll be suggested videos at the end but the kinds of the the viewers if you've ever sort of spent time and I I don't actually would recommend it but if you sort of spend time sort of wandering through YouTube you can see that video content and some pretty horrific video content racks up a ton of views I mean millions and millions of views and of course this is this is an um this is ad-funded um this is uh, ad-supported viewing that feeds the lines, the pockets of Google, but also lines the con, the pockets of the, the content makers on these platforms. I mean, I think that this is really, this is really the place in which RT, for example, Russia Today, um, it, although I think it's it some cable, it does have a, a cable dis- distribution. It's really YouTube um, where these clips, where where most of these clips are are viewed are viewed and shared, and um, there was a story earlier in the week in the New York Times about the way in which content appears in the YouTube kids version, which is supposed to supposed to be sort of filtered content, um, inappropriate content is supposed to be filtered out. But that stuff is appearing there that is, if not outright disturbing, um, then sort of just weird. Um, And then there was a story in Medium that sort of really documented quite closely the algorithmic generation of content um, on the YouTube, you know, stuff aimed really at pre-K, the pre-K crowd, small children that are just going to be sort of babysat, I think, through by digital devices um, with... I think out like algorithmically generated weird content, the kinds of stuff though that's purposefully being pieced together so that it does this sort of keyword matching, and so that it's you're able to sort of generate these playlists and add revenue, but for content that's just weird but then like I said some of the content is really disturbing and the way in which popular characters are appropriated and reused in order to create this content and again in order to sort of do this sort of keyword um, the sort of keyword um, matching um, and I think that it's you know I think that what we're seeing and particularly as people are Using the internet the way in which I think a generation, you know, a couple of generations, two generations ago, people complained that, you know, television was raising children and a generation ago, people complained that VCRs were raising, um, were, were raising children. Now it's YouTube that's raising children. But this isn't just re-watching the same Disney videotape over and over again, and this isn't really just watching Saturday morning cartoons on CBS over and over again. And um, this is something different. Um, and so what are the implications of people being, small people, small impressionable people, um, but also older impressionable people? being delivered content that is algorithmically generated in this way
1: well i think we've seen the the potential for these algorithms to be gamed you know whether it's instagram facebook twitter youtube google uh there seems to be a small group of people who've gotten very good at understanding how to uh, uh, manipulate those search algorithms and get their content in there and because of this automation and, and APIs, you're able to, you know, uh, upload lots of videos, you're able to spread lots of news, you're you're able to orchestrate lots of accounts, to like, share, distribute, pump up, amplify. And these people have figured out how to be very good at it and because of those advertising incentive models. They're getting a rev share on it. They're making money. It's funding them to do more work. And then the flip side is is the people viewing these, you know, in these... Uh, niche groups, whether it's children on YouTube or whether it's people who don't like brown people on Facebook and live in 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 small towns, uh, they're pretty susceptible to some of these messages that are coming through, and the platforms just aren't really that interested in uh doing anything about it because hey, it's 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 feeding all the signals that they want to do.
0: Well, and it's it's interesting because you know I think that the the promise so that there there are a couple of promises that I think are um, both that are contradictory they're contradictory, both sort of um, ideologically and contradictory practically um That's wrapped up in this question of scale. So a lot of these technology companies talk a lot about automation, and they do do a lot of a lot of things are um, a lot of things even like filtering and flagging quote unquote inappropriate content is something that is is done algorithmically. And so as long as your as your content fits in between whatever those limits are, it's gonna bypass the filters because that stuff is done algorithmically. And really that's a perfect storm, right? That's a perfect storm for um, for getting stuff by the sensors. And you could think of that as both um, politically subversive, and you could think of that as both as politically quite dangerous um, but then there's also this this sort of and there's a decision when they when these companies have doubled down on algorithms a decision to then not use humans to 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 do this work um, so you know but at, at what point at what point do we need to have? more human decision-making. And then like the Facebook revenge porn, what, what are the, what happens when a human is doing this? And I don't just mean, um, I used the verb Louis C. Kang the other day, which is, I guess now a verb. I don't just mean a Facebook employee, Louis C. Kang to someone's nudes. Right. But I mean, you know, the, this is, What happens to the low-pay contract workers, often in the developing world, who are exposed all day long to violent content um, that's been flagged as being inappropriate? Um, Because these companies, Facebook and Google, they do hire humans to view content and to view really horrific content, right? Videos of people being beheaded, videos of people being murdered, videos of people being raped. Um, Humans do view that. And so what are the costs of, of putting in place those sorts of human controls? And when you look circling back around, when you look at the leadership and the culture of these companies, do we trust these folks to make these kinds of decisions? Because it's not like they've just failed a little bit or just failed once. Sort of systematically, they've dropped the ball on these questions.
1: Well, and there, as I wrote about it this week, but uh, I think we talked about it last week on the podcast. Is you know, Mark Zuckerberg says to implement you know the security controls that they need. It's it's going to hurt their bottom line. They're not going to be profitable because of this. And this is this is going to be the message out of all of these companies. Is you know they're trying to hit on the signals that make their investors happy, and and you know they're they can't be hitting on these ones that are making their investors unhappy. So when it comes to hiring people, they're always gonna outsource that and make that, you know, mechanical Turk style, uh, do it to the, the the poorest people and they're gonna keep trying to do it, but they're gonna do it in a in a minimal way and, and just enough to keep the regulators off of them. And I think we're starting to be begin to see the the first level of kind of pushback, whether it's it's observability on 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 their advertising and and what the, and and when it comes to political advertising, but uh, Al Franken this week pushed it a little bit further, and he wants to he pushed for net neutrality at at these platform levels, like actually uh, enforcing them to to be more transparent, and observant, and and uh, uh, disclose how they're you know how all of all of this is working and then and then handle it in a, in a in a kind of regulated way, and this is just the the floodgates for for what the future might look like when they're when they're deemed a tech media company
0: So I just finished reading um platform capitalism this week, and I think that one of i mean I think that you know this is this is, this is this dilemma that we will face in the coming years with these powerful, powerful companies right um not Twitter, Twitter, whatever, not a very powerful company. I mean, may, maybe, but really, you know, Amazon, Google, Facebook, um, these are, these are incredibly powerful companies whose, whose, whose power rests, whose power rests on data, our data, mining our data. And, really the the business of platforms is to always get more data from us and so you know there is a role to play perhaps in regulation but you know is that even going to be sufficient and the con- you know the conclusion of this platform capitalism book is that, is that at what point do we have to start talking about um collectivizing this i mean if the internet if the internet is such a key utility right i mean and this was the phrase that i really liked from that james brittle piece uh, Br- james brittle piece on youtube he talked about infrastructural violence the way in which the algorithmic content um, creation and dissemination on youtube was algorithmic or in- infrastructural violence if you think about infrastructure as being something that we think is so important that we put it, keep it in the public realm, right? Roads, for example, air you know air travel, right? Electricity, water, the infrastructure. Infrastructure is something that we um, have uh, something that we think about as being a public good, a public, of a public. A, a public of public value, like at what point do we have to move beyond simply the government regulating these private companies and think about what it looks like to um, for collectivism? Oh, well, I'm really ending this on like a communist. This is like I'm ending this on quite a communist note. Um, how appropriate. I'm well, I think considered. in the
1: current climate, uh, the FCC uh, trying to reverse anything any movement forward we made on net neutrality. I think it's pretty unlikely we're going to see anything else but that doesn't mean it won't happen it's just Well yeah uh, no going to I'm talking time.
0: about something I mean I'm just I'm saying that like even the you know the net neutrality stuff is as I think is perhaps not even the right hill to die on like if these are really so important then we're going to have to make different sorts of efforts and I don't think that this is an effort that that we're going to see fruition on in the next year two years four years eight years even but if if we, if we expect to survive in platform capitalism, right? If we expect to survive in a world in which these mega monopolies are in the business of extracting our personal data in order to sort of trap us in this really um, awful relationship um, with them, then our our best path forward is is going to have to be rethinking not the platform part of that equation but the capitalism part of that equation because the the the, the pressures to extract value more and more more and more data in the hopes of getting more and more value for stockholders is something that we aren't going to be able to sort of regulate our way out of that mess that's going to co- I mean we have to really be rethinking things um, radically rethinking things, because the kinds of violence, right, the kinds of infrastructural violence that we're going to be experiencing is going to be profound.
1: Well, it's as you said, it's a relationship we're all we all find ourselves in, and and at this point, it's a pretty toxic, abusive relationship. Oh, all right, way to end the note on this week. Uh, uh, until next week, I guess.
0: And until the next time we do the podcast. Next week. Next week. Bye.